0: Welcome back to the Locks on Diamondbacks podcast. Here, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day, and on today's podcast. I'm talking to Sam of Reckless Airwaves Radio. He brought me on as a guest. Unfortunately, the audio isn't as crispy as I would like. I didn't know this would be a phone interview, so it's not the normal quality that we usually have on the audio, but it's still a great conversation with Sam, talking a lot of Diamondbacks baseball heading into 2022 and talking who we like in each division and who we think is coming out of each conference as well. So it's going to be a jam-packed pod with Sam of Reckless Airwaves airwaves so let's jump right into it
1: you are locked on diamondbacks your daily arizona diamondbacks podcast part of the locked on podcast network your team every day
0: Welcome into the Locked on Diamondbacks podcast. I'm your host, Miller Thomas. I'm a multimedia journalist, and I'm a graphic designer. So please go check out my website, millerthomas24.myportfolio.com. On there, you can see all my latest work from my packages to my articles to my photos and my graphic design. If you want to see more content by me... Just follow me on Twitter, at CreatorThomas24 for my personal account, or just look up Lockdown Diamondbacks on both Twitter and Instagram for the podcast handle. And of course, thank you for making Lockdown Diamondbacks your first listen every day. I would not be able to do this podcast without you, my loyal listeners, sharing, subscribing, reviewing, doing all that so I could do this podcast for you. Thank you. But as I mentioned, we got a big podcast with Reckless Airwaves, Sam of Reckless Airwaves Radio. So let's jump right into it.
1: Hey, how you doing, Millard?
0: I'm doing good. How are you
1: today? I'm doing good. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. i been looking forward to this. Um, so, yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to have you on, uh, talk some about the Diamondbacks and, and the upcoming season. Um, I know that it was a tough season for the Diamondbacks last year. Uh, is the outlook, before we get to some specifics on the club, is the outlook a little better this year? Do you think they're going to be a, an improved team?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough to go – any any lower than what they were this past season i mean they had i think their second worst record in franchise history if not it was one of the worst records of all time they set the all-time road losing streak record during the season as well so historically it was a terrible season for the d-backs so they can't get any worse heading into 2022 now is the roster upgraded is there more talent on the team Marginally, they did clean up the bullpen a little bit. It was a huge area of weakness for them last season. They added Mark to Shark Melanson from the NL West rivals, the Padres. They brought back an old friend in Ian Kennedy. And then they went out there and made a trade to go get Jordan Luplo, a nice little platoon bat. So I think the roster is going to be better overall. They they didn't really make any major moves, but they cleaned up around the margins with the bullpen, adding those couple arms with the platoon bat because the Luplo also moves Peyton Smith maybe more back to his natural position at first base so i think overall we're going to see this better continuity continuity that's the word i want to say continuity with this team just because <laughs> i think you're going to see more players playing defense at just one base like a josh rojas he will probably go back to manning third full-time potentially i think cancel Marte is going to be full-time second base no more center field for him in 2022 so you're going to see players stay at one home in 2022 it was a lot of moving around last season so i think with the players staying at one defensive spot this season, plus what Mike Hazen was able to do around the margins. I don't think the D-backs are going to go from whoever, how many wins they had last season to all of a sudden a World Series contender, but they should be better, and they should have a better product on the field heading into 2022.
1: As far as the owner goes, uh, Ken Kentrick, what, what, what is the deal with him now? The, the um, What's the budget for the Arizona Diamondbacks? Is it around eighty 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 million? $80 Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I don't have like specific numbers off the top of my
2: head. I'm going to try to Google MLB payrolls as I'm talking to you, but it's whatever the number is, I'll tell you it's below average because the D backs are a team that's not too keen on spending. They're currently 25th in baseball in terms of. Uh, projected payroll right now, heading into 2022. So they're a team that doesn't like to spend a lot of money, and I think a third of their payroll is all going to Madison Bumgarner too, which is just <laughs> right. disgusting and sad to think about. So yeah. uh, Ken Kendrick, I mean, the D-backs don't usually spend money. Whenever whenever we do spend money, it's usually for one, past their prime pitcher like a Bumgarner or Zach Granke, and those deals usually never work out for us. I'd rather, you know, spend the money on homegrown talent like the Paul Goldschmidt to keep those guys in town it's that Grinky or massive bum garner. But hey, that's a podcast for another day. So Ken Kendrick, he usually doesn't try to spend money. That's kind of his philosophy. But Derek Hall has talked about like, hey, we still got – more money to spend this off season and free agency is kind of done already. A lot of the big names are off the market, but the D-backs still want to be active in free agency. Still got guys like Conforto out there that shouldn't break the bank or anything like that. Maybe get him around seven to 10 million a year. So I think the D-backs are a team that they, they don't want to spend money overall. They want to get guys who could be 10 million or less. And then every now and then they'll go out there and spend money on one big time pitcher who will usually disappoint for the team, but, overall ken kendrick's philosophy is keeping the money in his wallet
1: right well that's why i asked that is because you know i was just doing a little a little uh you know reading up on him and i know that you know he did wipe out like a lot of debt for the diamondbacks and you know he you know he's also the guy that has that honus wagner card so i wouldn't think he would be like a cheap you know owner but you know it, it looks like they are about an $80 million uh, you know, club right there. So you're right. He doesn't look like he really wants to spend, um, which is, I guess, how they got in the position where they are right now. They're just not spending. And, you know, with all the salaries going so high, it's hard to kind of keep up with the with the other teams when you're doing that.
2: Yeah, and all the minority owners that the D-backs used to have that own, like, less than 1% of the team. Ken Kendrick basically told everyone, like, you either sell the rest of your stock or we're just going to buy you out. So he's someone that wants full total control of the money and the ownership of the team. Like, he's like, if you got, you know, a half percent of stock, like, I'm sorry, we're going to sell that. And we're either going to buy you out or you're going to have to sell it. So Ken Kendrick is definitely someone who uh, I'm not a huge fan of when it comes to money. I wish the D-backs were... Willing to spend more because one of the big things, one of the big things I talk about on lockdown on Diamondbacks is any small market team can go out there and get a star. If they're willing to spend the money and go get them, we see the twins this off season, go get Carlos Correa because they're willing to drop the bag on the guy. We saw the Colorado Rockies go get Chris Bryant because they're willing to drop the bag. Texas Rangers went out there and got Corey Seager. So if you're a team, even the Mariners went out there and got, you know, some big time players too this off season. So any team can go out there and get star players in free agency. They just have to be willing to spend the money. And it usually comes from the ownership. If the ownership is willing to spend money, then your team is usually going to be productive and competitive during the off season. And the feedbacks are usually people who are more bystanders doing free agency than, you know, offenders, I guess, however you want to phrase that.
1: And, and as far as, you know, uh, you know, the, the system, the minor league system, do they have a lot of, uh, you know, up and coming good young players that, that you can look forward to or, or is their minor league system kind of, uh, you know, struggling as well?
2: No, there, that's one of the the bright spots during the Mike Hazen era is that he's really come in and he's really done a good job of rebuilding the farm system. I mean, he's had to trade a lot of the star players on this team to do so like Zach Greinke got back three of the top five prospects in the Astros organization for that um traded Paul Goldschmidt didn't really get a prospect back in that but he's made moves during his tenure as the Diamondbacks GM to really reload and retool the farm system and right now I think most people if you went on like Baseball America or MLB.com they would say the D-backs have like a seven to 11 farm system, you know, in terms of ranking. So the farm system overall is pretty good. Now, is there any like blue chip prospects? Are there any wander Franco's in the D-backs farm system? I would probably say no, but does that mean there's no potential all-star level prospects in the D-backs farm system? Guys like Alec Thomas and Corbin Carroll, those are two guys that people are really high on and Alec Thomas is someone that could potentially debut this season, depending on how the season goes, Corbin Carroll, maybe next season. And then, The guy who they just drafted in the first round this past season, Jordan Lawler, everyone talks about how he's going to be the next Carlos Correa or whatever, so we'll see what happens with him. But overall, they don't really have any blue chippers in their farm system, but they have a lot of guys they could see being an everyday, above-average major leaguer. And right now, in terms of rankings among all the MLB farm systems, they're definitely right there in the mix for the top 10.
1: Now, as far as looking at the club, uh, you know, the 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 major league club right now and what you have in store for twenty twenty two. You mentioned Baumgartner looking at the the, the uh, starting rotation, um, you know, Gallen, Kelly, Weaver. How does it look right now? I mean, obviously, uh how much does Baumgartner have left in your opinion? That we'll start there. I mean, that's that's a great question, Sam. I
2: mean, from what I've seen so far, it doesn't look like Baumgartner has a ton left in the tank. I mean, from his first spring training debut, a lot of people are pretty happy just because his velocity was up to 93 miles per hour in the first inning, which for a bumgarner is basically throwing 102. But you look at the second inning velocity, and it dropped down to 91 miles an hour. His velocity in 2021, his fastball was probably around 91 and a half miles per hour. It was below like 89 miles per hour. It was, it was around 89 back in 2020. So I think he's probably still slightly above 90 on his fastball. The velocity has been the biggest weakness in his game since coming over to Arizona. He just hasn't been able to command it. And then with the lack of velocity, whenever he tries to go to those secondary pitches like the curveball, and he has trouble locating that curveball. The days where he can't locate that pitch, he's given up dingers and a lot of loud and hard contact. So for Bumgarner, he, he still showed stretches during 2021. There was like at one point like a five-game stretch where he had the best whip since 1933. Now, like I said, it's a five-game stretch. If you look at the overall season, it wasn't too good. But he's at least shown flashes and stretches of... Uh, a guy that can still be a mid-tier rotation starter, maybe a number three, number four for you. But considering the D backs owe him like sixty million over the last three years, I don't think they're gonna. I don't think they're gonna see the return on that kind of contract. And for Baumgartner, how much talent? How much does he have left in the tank? Uh, I feel like it's not a lot. I feel like we got maybe a quarter, a quarter gallon left. And with the with the gas prices these highs, uh, like <laughs> I don't know if I want to keep driving for the car. So uh, the D backs, right. if they could get off of him at the probably leave that car parked on the side of the road.
1: Yeah. I don't blame you. It's, it's strange when you look at his numbers though, because like, you know, his ERA was always, you know, under four. I mean, it gradually went up, you know, uh, up until 2019 and then 2020, he just kind of hit a snag there and it was almost seven. I know that was the, the COVID year and everything like that. And then last year it was almost five. So, I mean, who knows, maybe he does mm-hmm. have a bounce back year this year, but um, yeah, he's definitely trending in the wrong direction, but I guess you just got to kind of wait it out and see, you know, Woody actually does have left, but um, what about the rest of the rotation? Is, is, there, is there some uh, hope there as far as Gallen and Kelly Weaver and and uh, Strally?
0: You'll hear me answer that question, but first, I want to talk to you guys about Bet Online because it's that time of year again as college basketball's tournament is finally upon us. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, BetOnline.net is the number one source for all your sports betting needs and info. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information needs, including live betting in your favorite Vegas casino games. Head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and actions. BetOnline, where the game starts. Thanks for making Lockdown Dimebacks your first listen every day. Lockdown MLB Prospects host, Lindsey Crosby, is a prospect encyclopedia, and he's going deep on the MLB stars of tomorrow. It's free and available wherever you get your podcasts. All right all right all right let's get back into the pod
2: well I have hope that well first let me say this Gallen, he might miss the start of the season he might miss the opening series with shoulder bursitis we'll see I think he's still been throwing so that's a good sign at least if we get talent if we I said Zalin, if we get Zach gallon for you know 90% of the season at full health I'm fully confident he should look like a Cy Young caliber pitcher so far During his first couple years in D-backs uniform, whenever he's been healthy, this dude has been a stud. So I'm not worried at all. If he's on the field, if he's on the mound, he's going to be pitching like a number one starter. But after Gallon, that's where it gets kind of shaky. You bring up Luke Weaver. Uh, I'm going to do a podcast pretty soon about this is going to be a make or break season for Luke Weaver because there are other teams interested in the guy. And if the D-backs cannot figure out how to get Luke Weaver back to those 2019 levels, then they might have to move on from him because they're bringing in Brent Strom, a new pitching coach. He's coming from the Houston Astros, and this guy has been revolutionary for pitchers. Justin Verlander late in his career, Garrett Cole, Dallas Keuchel. You go on and on with those Astros pitchers. He's turned all of them into Cy Young Award winners. So if this guy can't do anything with Luke Weaver, it's going to give the D-backs not a lot of confidence that anything is going to ever happen with Luke Weaver. So they might have to move off of him at the end of the season. So I'm not too confident in his prospects during the season. Like if he could get back to those 2019 levels, Luke Weaver will then be a huge swing pit, su- a huge swing pit, huge swing piece. I don't know why I can say that huge swing piece <laughs> for this d backs team this season, but I don't have a lot of confidence in Luke Weaver doing that. And Right now, like, you brought up Merrill Kelly. I think he's easily the second-best pitcher in this D-back rotation. Like, with Gallen uh, on and off with injury last season, I thought Merrill Kelly was our best pitcher. This guy, I mean, he was the innings eater. There were games where he gave up four runs, five runs, but this dude never got shelved. He was not a guy giving up six, seven earned runs. He was always going six innings, seven innings, going three or four earned runs, and he just doesn't put – guys on the bases like he's not someone that's going to walk three four five guys like he's got good control he knows how to command his pitches yeah he's not elite but considering the other options in our rotation i think merrill kelly's our second best one so to wrap it all up i guess zach allen i believe in fully i like merrill kelly he probably should be a number two starter on you know in any rotation he should probably be a number four number five guy but the Z-back rotation, I like him to be our number two starter because I don't think we have other options. Luke Weaver, I hope he bounces back. Massive Bumgarner, we'll see. And you mentioned Dan Straley. Like, I don't know if he's going to be the number fifth starter. Your guess is as good as mine. D-back just signed Zach Davies like a
1: couple of days ago as well. So
2: I think the number five starter might come down to opening day.
1: I saw that. They got Davies, and they also signed um, Ian Kennedy. Uh, I guess for the bullpen and you have Melancon, um, you know, he had mm-hmm. 25 saves last year. How, what about the rest of the bullpen? Is that a weakness for the Diamondbacks as well? Or, or is it, uh, uh, is it okay?
2: No, I mean, we'll see how it does this season with the new additions of Melanson and Kennedy, but the last couple of years, I mean, you could say the bullpen has been the biggest weakness of the D-backs team. I mean, all the Mike Hazen, you know, late addition signings during free agency for the back end of the bullpen just hasn't worked out the, Hector Rondones and the junior Guerreras and the Chris Davinskys and the Joaquin Soria's like all these past their prime pitchers. They just haven't worked out the guys that are basically minimum level relievers on the market. Those guys haven't worked out for Mike Hazen so far. So he's like, screw it. I'll go out there and I'll get a guy who was an all-star level closer last season. I'm all-star level closer he was an all-star closer last season for the Padres and Mark Melanson. He went out there and got Ian Kennedy, who has turned into a really good back end reliever the last few years with the Royals. So I like what he's doing so far. He picked up a couple guys mid season last year, Noah Ramirez and Joe Mantipoli, who came in and was pretty productive for this D back's bullpen. Caleb Smith, once you take him out the rotation and move him to the bullpen, is actually not too bad of an arm. Uh, We'll see. They got some other young arms in the minors who were kind of flirting with the major leagues last season, like Humberto Castellanos and guys like that, Humberto Mejia. So we'll see if any of those young guys step up, but at least feel confident that the D-backs have four to five arms that they could kind of trust, especially in Melanson and Ian Kennedy. So, the bullpen has been such an area of weakness for the D-backs the last couple of years. I don't think it's going to be a strength next season, but I don't think it'll be the reason. I don't think it will handicap us as much in game next season as it's done the last two years.
1: All right. And looking at the lineup, the projected lineup, um, obviously it looks like Marte is your best hitter, right? And uh, after oh, that, yeah. what do you get, who, who else is kind of someone to keep an eye on? You know, I see you got got David Peralta and Carson Kelly, the catcher and stuff like that. Um, yeah, you get, you're get you getting, like, 15 to 20 home runs from a lot of these guys, but, um, you know, there's just not a big thumper in there, right, after Marte? No, that's probably the biggest – that's one of the biggest issues that this D-backs team have. They just don't have
2: the power. They just, they just don't have the power back And In today's game where you look at rosters where they have five to six players that could get you 25-plus home runs, the D-backs really only have one. Now, maybe they could get some breakout seasons like – Adalton Varsho, who everyone is really hyped up on, had a big second half last season. If he could continue that into next year, he's definitely got the ceiling and the kind of ability to be a 20-plus home run guy. So he's someone to watch out for. Ketel Marte, of course, can hit 20-plus home runs if we're just talking about raw power. Christian Walker was someone that could get you 25 home runs a couple years ago. He used to be one of the hardest hitters on the D-backs. I don't know what happened the last couple years is, Hard hit numbers have taken a major dip, so he leaves me a little bit concerned. Carson Kelly's got some pop as a catcher, but he's probably not going to play enough to get those 20-plus home runs. David Peralta, uh, he's like in his mid-30s now. So when I look up and down this roster, after Ketel Marte, there's some guys I like. Like I said, Dalton Varsho I think, could be really good this upcoming season. Carson Kelly as well. But this lineup is not going to be one that smashes. This is going to have to be a contact lineup. This is going to have to be uh, come through at runners in scoring position, extra base hits, gap power, uh, just smart plate discipline, not chasing pitches, strikeouts. Like this team is really going to have to be smart and disciplined at the plate because it's not going to be one of those teams where it's like, it doesn't matter the score. It doesn't matter if you're down four runs, three runs, two runs, everything. The D-backs cannot have that motto next season because outside of Quetta Marte, there's not too many players on this. There's not too many players in the lineup that could change the game with one swing of the bat.
1: And I see Michael Conforto, uh, you know, his name has been linked to the Diamondbacks recently. Um, Mm -hmm. Doesn't look like the Mets have any interest in bringing him back. And I don't know what's going on with him. I mean, he's a decent player. He had a little bit of a, you know, slow start last year. He didn't put up his usual numbers, but um, I mean, he's had some good years with the Mets, you know, besides last year. So, I mean, I don't know why nobody really has signed him yet. Um, I don't know. Maybe the asking price is too high. Is he a realistic option for the Diamondbacks? The Diamondbacks could could use him, I think, right?
2: I would have thought he would have been a realistic option. I mean, I'm surprised he's still out there considering he's only 29 years old. And, yes, he's coming off a down season. But if you look at, like, his previous four years, like, this was an all-star level guy. So, I'm surprised he's still out there on the market. Uh, There were reports and, you know, potential links between the Dimebacks and Conforto pre-lockout, but Zach Buchanan has basically put the rumors to bed that the D-backs are no longer really in pursuit of Michael Conforto. So I really don't think that marriage is going to happen, but I wouldn't be opposed to it. Like he's a left-handed bat So will get kind of redundant in the outfield just because David Peralta is the lefty. And you also got Dalton Varsho who will probably be playing center field. He's a lefty as well, but you got Jordan Love to at least platoon and help, Clean up the lineup a little bit with these, uh, you know, righty on righty uh, disadvantages that this lineup might have or lefty and lefty, however you want to say it. So for this D-back team, I would like them to get Conforto because he's got a pretty high ceiling. He can be like an all-star level outfielder and they don't have enough guys with the talent of a Conforto. And I don't think he would break the bank. Like I said before, I think it would be the perfect low risk, high reward kind of a deal that the D-backs need, especially when you're a team that doesn't want to spend money, when you're a team that doesn't want to go out there and go after the big stars. A guy like Michael Conforto that can at least give you all-star level numbers without you uh, having to break the bank for him. I would have liked that move as a D-back fan, as a D-back supporter and covering the team, but it doesn't seem like that's going to happen in the near future.
1: What about Brett Gardner? I only say bring his name up is because I saw an article where where someone was talking about you know, maybe he's a possibility for the Diamondbacks, but he's another older player. Do you really want someone like that?
2: Uh, Repeat that one time. Sorry, I didn't hear
1: you. Uh, Brett Gardner. I saw an article uh, someone had mm-hmm. written about uh, Brett Gardner maybe being a possibility, but he's, a, he's another one. He's an older player. Is that someone that you would really want to see go there?
2: No, I'm all out on Brett, it's only Brett yeah. Gardner. If Brett Garner when he was like 28, 29, I've been like, yeah, sure. The dude could play really right, good defense. Right. He could steal me 50 bases. But the dude at this point of his career, like, I'm sorry. Is it bad <laughs> if I say he's washed? Like, he's a really nice guy. Somehow he hit 10 home runs last season. I don't even know how he did that. But the appeal to me for a Brett Gardner in this prime was his freaking speed. This was maybe my favorite player to watch run just because he looked so smooth doing it. But – at this point of his career, like his OPS is below 700, he doesn't really hit for contacts. He strikes out a ton. Like he had 100 strikeouts in 140 games in 2021. Like I'm probably good on Greg Gardner joining the Diamondbacks. We have enough Greg Gardner type players on our
1: roster, <laughs> right? No, I don't blame him. He hasn't done anything with the Yankees the last couple of years. Yankee fans have been complaining nonstop about him. Uh, so you know, just overall then. um, what's the best case scenario for this Diamond backs club? Uh, you know, obviously, you know, they won 52 games last year. If they could improve that, I mean, they could improve that drastically, right. If something's, you know, bounced the right way for them.
2: If you lose more than 52 games next season, then I would have to assume like a meteor hit the
1: earth or something, because there's no
2: <laughs> reason the D back should be that bad again next season. Like, uh, like seriously, like with the, like, I'm not saying they have the most talented roster, but I don't think the talent on their roster is equal to a 52-win team or less. So they should be better next season. But in terms of what I would consider a successful season, like, of course, everyone would love the a playoff berth, at least a wild card. But that's not where my head is at. Like, I got to try to be realistic. I can't come up on this podcast and just blow smoke for Diamondbacks fans. So for me, a realistic season by the D-backs would be, Just a competitive team, even if we're losing, just put a competitive product on the field. If we could get 70 to 75 wins, I would consider that season a win. If we get, because I think I saw Jeff Carr in your podcast. I think he said 73 wins for the Reds. Well, let me go out there and say this on the record. The D-backs will win more games than the Cincinnati Reds in 2022. And, that's because the Reds are not going to win seventy three games. The Reds are going to be like a sixty five win team in twenty twenty two, and the D backs are probably going to be a seventy three win team. So for me, if the D backs get to seventy three wins next season and they they look like they're competitive, like we're losing five to four to the Dodgers, you know, late in the season in September, we're knocking the Padres out the postseason, we're playing spoiler with teams like that's all I want. I just want a fun season where I can actually tune into the games and not expected and not expect to get blown out because last year. Like by the third inning, I was like, "Oh my god, I really got to keep dragging through this." But if I could walk into next season and at least feel like I ch- I could turn on the game and anything could happen, I could walk away with a smile on my face. That's our. That's all I really want. I don't really care about the wins. I just care about how competitive the game is.
1: Yeah, I mean that would be a pretty pretty big. Um you know, change from last year, that's like 20, 20 more wins. But like you said, 52, just don't, you know, even, even though, you, you know, you have some older players here and, and maybe the talent isn't, isn't there. I mean, it's still to me also doesn't equal a 52 win team. I mean, that's definitely very low. Uh, so 70 is not really out of the question. Um, you know, as far as the long-term uh, you know, prognosis for this team, you obviously said there there are there maybe not be some blue chip uh prospects in the in the system, but there are some good young players coming up. So do you see maybe within the next two or three years uh the Diamondbacks, you know, being a much improved team, obviously with some of these younger players? You just kinda kinda gotta hold out yeah. for another year or so.
2: Yeah, I would definitely hope so. Just because there's so many young guys that they have on this roster that are deemed talented and deemed to have potential, but we just haven't seen it materialize yet. Like I mentioned before, the D-backs got three of the top five prospects in the Astros organization. And the guy that's playing from that deal is Josh Rojas, who was like the 24th prospect in the Astros organization. So we still haven't seen the three of the top five prospects really make an impact for the D-backs just yet. We'll see now that they've added the universal DH. Maybe we see some Seth Beer action, Corbin Martins uh, supposed to be a talented guy. He really didn't look too good last season. He was just getting his feet wet. So maybe he's improved in 2022. J.E. Braskakis is out, uh, is expected to be out a few months because I think he tore his terrace Major. Not really sure what muscle that is, but he's pretty young. So hopefully he comes back and it's pretty healthy too. And then, like I mentioned before in the farm system, you got Alex Thomas, you got Corbin Carroll. Those guys will be on the D-backs within the next two years. Jordan Lawler, he's probably farther out, but there's also some pitchers that the D backs could bring up from the farm system. Um, and he, I mentioned before, Castiano. So there is a lot of young team in the farm system um, at the back end of the roster. I'm not sure if the team, if the young talent's enough to elevate the team to the playoffs. Like they'll probably still have to hit free agency in the trade market for that, but. A couple of these young guys pop, like, yeah, this team can be really competitive in the next couple of years. The issue is they're still gonna be playing in the division with the Dodgers who can just seemingly go out there and create a superstar team every season. All of a sudden the Padres, at least on paper, know how to build a powerhouse. And then the Giants they seem to not need any stars and still win hundred games. So even if the D backs have all their young talent on the roster in a couple of years and they're actually playing well. They still might be the third or fourth-best team in the division just because of how
1: stacked it is. Very tough division. And I have two more questions on the Diamondbacks, and I just want to get your thoughts on some of the other divisions and, and, and who you see winning uh, the divisions this year. As just going back to the owner one more time, uh, Ken Kendrick. Mm-hmm. So you, if there is hope. There are some young players that are coming up the pipeline. If this team improves over the next two or three years, do you think, Kendrick, will open up his wallet and actually go after some free agents, or is he still not going to really want to spend money? No, maybe one guy like how the D-backs have been doing, because whenever the D-backs feel
2: like they're close, like how they were in 2019, when they won 80 plus games and it felt like they were kind of early to the party. They were like, let's go into the 2020 off season and let's get a real upgrade in our rotation. And that's when they decided to mass and Bumgarner, you look back at it, you look back at that deal with hindsight and you're like, man, I wish they didn't do that. But If the D-backs in a couple years, if they are somehow able to kind of reset because they're not in a rebuild, they're kind of in a retooling situation. So in a couple years, they keep adding to the roster that they have. Like I said before, the young talent kind of pops. I don't think Ken Kendrick is all of a sudden going to be inclined to open up the wallet and spend big at free agency. Maybe he's more inclined to go out there and try to get. That, that one player that can make a difference and put you over the edge, but he's probably not going to be on the level of like Freddie Freeman or anything like that. Maybe we would already have a Conforto if we felt like his team was closer to competing or maybe even like a Trevor Story level player who is an all-star level player, but I don't think that contract broke the bank. Like he's making more, he's making like 3 million more than massive Bumgarner on a, you know, on a annual salary basis. So I think maybe someone like 20, 23 million they would be willing to spend their money on if they were closer to competing. But that's one player. I don't think they're going out there and signing multiple players to $15-plus contracts. If they go out there and open the bank or, excuse me, open up their wallet, they're going to go out there and get one player for around $20 million, and then they might be quiet for the rest of the offseason after that.
1: All right. And, and the other question I had was, what is what is the, the, the mood of the fan base right now? Um, I'm, You know, I think back to that 2001 team. And that was one of the, You of know, I'm a Mets fan, but that was still one of my favorite teams, you know, with with Randy Johnson and uh, Luis Gonzalez and Kurt Schilling. And plus, they beat the Yankees, who I'm not a fan of. So that was great. Uh, but right now, you know, is is there is the fan base still kind of supportive of the Diamondbacks or are they kind of, you know, on the sideline right now?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would say they're supportive, but they're definitely in hiding. It's kind of like the Phoenix Suns. We didn't know Suns had fans until they started making the playoffs again. Now they have one of the best home crowds in all of basketball because the Suns for like 10 years were terrible. And those games, I used to go to those games all the time and pay like five bucks to go to a Suns okay. ticket. Now, if I want to see, like, a Suns versus the Magic, I got to spend, like, 150 bucks for upper-level tickets because that's how popular those games are now. So, for the D-backs, you're going to a game, you're going to be like, man, there's not a lot of D-back jerseys in the stadium right now, especially if it's, like, against the Dodgers or one of those really good teams, like, uh, one of those really good teams that travel, like the Chicago Cubs or something like that. There's going to be a lot of away fans in the crowd but if the d-backs are able to give back to relevance and start competing you will see those d-backs fans come out of hiding but overall i feel like the general mood and feeling toward the franchise just kind of frustration just because coming off that 2019 season like i said 80 plus wins the d-backs thought they were going to go into the off season and make some moves to make the postseason 2020, and of course, this was before the pandemic, which kind of changed everything, so you look at that 2020 season, and you're like, yeah, and Bungarner sucked, but it was such a weird year. It was COVID. D-backs had a bunch of players hurt. So many dudes had just career-worst seasons, like Ketel Marte. He was unrecognizable during the 2020 season, and a lot of guys were, so I think the D-backs just kind of took 2020 and just shoved it aside and said, that's not really who we are. We'll really show you who we are in 2021, and then It was like, oh, you're actually just a 52-win team fighting for the number one pick on the last day of the season. And I think that realization for D-backs fans was really damning because we thought Bumgarner was going to be really effective. He has sucked for the last two years. Kessel Marte has been hurt. Zach Gallum has been hurt. It just feels like there's a dark, cloud hanging over the D-backs franchise like I mentioned before Zach Gallon might miss the opening series I think Keto Marte was like nicked up for a little bit during spring training I think he's fine now so everything should be okay there but it just feels like there's a dark cloud looming over the D-backs and hopefully we can get sunny days and clear skies pretty soon but right now it doesn't seem like D-backs are coming out the shadows anytime soon
1: all right so you know we just got to see what happens this year they they should be an improved team just based off like you said really can't get lower than last year with the 52 wins but um i want to throw the divisions at you just to get your thought on who do you think is the favorite with each one um and we'll start with the nl west uh dodgers look like they're okay. a powerhouse i mean i don't know if yeah. uh, i don't know if san francisco is going to come down to earth um i'm sure that they will, but. Um is and then of course Sam San Diego, you know, they we thought we they were gonna really compete with them last year and they really underachieved under five hundred. Um can anybody in that division really kind of hang in there with the Dodgers? Um no. I think that's
2: my simple short answer for the NOS. The <laughs> Dodgers team is just it's just so back. I mean you got an all-star to MVP level player all around the freaking diamond. You look at the rotation, it's like, yeah, I guess we'll take Clayton Kershaw back as our, like, number three or four starter. Like, Kershaw would easily be the number two starter on the D-backs, and it wouldn't even be close. Kershaw barely cracks the Dodgers' location at this point of his career. So the fact that you still have Walker Buehler, Julio Urias as your 1-2, and then you're just going to slide in Kershaw as your 3-4, you're going to add Freddie Freeman to that team as well. Yes, they lost Corey Seager. Yes, they might have lost Joe Kelly and Canley Jansen, but that team is so stacked. And the Dodgers just don't do it through free agency, too. They They know how to develop talent. That's one of the biggest things that people overlook when it comes to the Dodgers, they do a great job of developing homegrown talent. So one of the reasons why they've been able to stay relevant so long. One of the reasons why a team like the Yankees on the opposite coast have just struggled to get back to the promised plan because they cannot develop their own talent. Unlike the Dodgers that seem to keep doing it consistently while also fleecing teams and getting their star players like Trey Turner Trey Turner's of the world in deals as well. So the Dodgers are the cream of the crop. They're the best team in not just the NL West, but I think in all of baseball. So if you're asking me who's going to beat the Dodgers, I would probably take the Dodgers versus the field to for the World Series, at least coming out the National League.
1: Yeah, they definitely are the big favorite right now. And when you look at the NL Central, um, it looks like it's going to be just like last year, Milwaukee and St. Louis. St. Louis kind of surprised everybody. They kind of went crazy towards the end of the year, winning whatever it was, 17, 18 in a row, whatever. Um, I really thought Milwaukee had a chance to go to the World Series with the three big pitchers they had. But um, obviously the Braves wound up going there and winning it. Um, Is this Milwaukee's division to lose, or will St. Louis kind of give them a hard time again this year? Yeah, I think – St. Louis, I
2: think it would be a close race. Like you said, the big three of the Brewers, me too, I was disappointed with how their playoffs finished because I think if you have like three studs like that, like legitimately three guys that could win a Cy Young Award in your rotation, I think you should be better than a first round exit. And I think some of their issues was dealing with the offense. And I think some of their issues will be fixed by the universal DH because now you don't have to make those tough decisions. Do I have to pull Freddie Peralta in the fourth? So I could get some extra, you know, scores and runs right now. Like that's, that's a dumb argument. I don't even want to think about that strategy. I'm glad baseball brought the universal DH back, but I think it's going to be a close race between the Brewers and Cardinals. Like you said, the Cardinals got hot after the deadline, when they added like the John Lesters and the Jake Arrieta's of the world, I was like, what the hell are they doing at the deadline? But, Somehow it worked out for them. So when I look at the Reds who are just like, take my player, take this player. I don't want him. Just cut that guy. Like the Reds don't want any salary on their books. Like they're mad that they're still paying Ken Griffey Jr., who is their sixth highest paid player. I hope you brought that up (laughs) just far because that is absolutely ridiculous that Ken Griffey Jr. is their highest paid player. Oh, the Cubs, I mean, they signed Marcus Stroman, but that roster looks deplorable. Then the Pirates, I think, are trying to lose games. So it will come down to the Brewers and Cardinals. I don't love the Brewers offense, but I think it would I think they're the leading candidate for the division just because I look at Burns, uh, Peralta and Woodrow, and then you look at that bullpen too with Williams and Hayter, like they got just dudes, man, on that staff, and I think I like their arms a lot more than the Cardinals.
1: I definitely agree with you there. And you know, when you look at the NL East, um, you know, the Mets improved a lot. Um, Atlanta just they just know how to do it. I mean, they lose Freddie Freeman, but they go and you know, they 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 just they're still probably the favorite. Unfortunately, as a Mets fan, I have to admit that. And uh, you know, Philadelphia will score a lot, but they probably don't have a lot of pitching. Miami's a scrappy team, and the Nationals are rebuilding. Who's the favorite in the National League East?
2: Yeah, I would definitely have to say I would definitely say it has to be Atlanta again. I mean, I hated the Matt Olson trade in terms of value just because I, I think they gave up a ton to get Matt Olson. I would have just rather paid Freddie Freeman and then just use those prospects to you in the next era of Braves baseball, but they still got a guy who's 27 and gives you 90 to 95% of Freddie Freeman's production. And some guys, some people think he's better than Freddie Freeman. So we'll see how that plays out. They stole Canley Jansen during, um, during the off season as well. And then Ronald Acuna Jr. is going to miss the beginning of the season, but they're going to get him probably the second, second, second or third month of the year. So When you're going to add an MVP-level player like Acuna, you're still going to get similar production from your first base. And then you are able to improve that bullpen and bring back guys like Eddie Rosario as well. I think it's a brave division for now. I could see your team creeping in, but health is going to be a big sticking point because DeGrom was not able to stay healthy last year. He was. He might have been in the MVP conversation with the way he was dealing Scherzer and DeGrom, I think, is going to be a nasty one, too. You guys had some great additions during the offseason. Starling Marte, my guy Eduardo Escobar. So you guys are going to be a really fun team to watch. Uh, The Phillies added some bats as well. They got sluggers up and down their lineup. Wheeler is a stud. He's been... Arguably the best pitcher in baseball the last two years. You need Aaron Nola though to get back to those 2019 levels if they have a real chance of competing. We'll see their bullpen that's kind of been their weakness the last couple of years. Marlins they're just not ready to compete. I like their rotation but their lineup is disgusting. The Nationals they're disgusting as well. So I think it's going to come down to the Mets and Braves. The Phillies could fight for one of those extra playoff spots now that we have expanded postseason, but I think it's going to come down to the Mets and Braves. And as of today. I would say the Braves, but I would not be surprised if the Mets won that division.
1: Should be a fun race for sure. And uh, going over to the American League, we'll start with the West. Uh, Houston, you know, they they lost uh, Correa. um, Still a pretty talented team. I mean, obviously, Seattle looked pretty good. They won 90 games last year. Oakland obviously got rid of a lot of their players. And you never know what the Angels and and, and Texas, you know, did sign a bunch of players as well. Uh, Is this still Houston's division?
2: You know, for now, I'll still say Tucson's division, but I'll say the Mariners are right on their heels. Losing Carlos Correa is big time, no doubt about it. But if you look at their lineup, they're still going to have five to six all-star level players like Jordan Alvarez is a stud. Kyler Tucker is a stud. They're still going to have Altuve. are still going to have Brantley and guys like that. So they're still going to be able to put Bregman too. So they're still going to have five to six guys that will – make you scared when they're up at the plate their rotation is pretty underrated they don't really have an ace but they have like three or four number two level pitchers their bullpen has been pretty good the last couple years as well so i like the astros a lot but i can't overlook the moves that the mariners have made if robbie ray's 2021 season wasn't an outlier that's going to be a huge addition to their team i know people hate jesse winker because of his splits versus right-handed and left-handed batters but guess what his overall stat line still looks like an MVP stat line. So I like the addition of Jesse Winker. Eugenio Suarez definitely has weaknesses in his game, but he hit like 50 bombs in 2019. So if you're going to add a 40 home run guy to your lineup, I think there's a the worse things that you could do. So I like the Mariners a lot. There's some young talent that still need to prove themselves on that team. I think they're just better Uh, I'm not even going to try to say the word again on the Astros. I think because of their team chemistry, the fact that they're all together and they've been together for a few years now, even though they've missed, even though they're losing a couple pieces, I still think the Astros probably have the most equity built in with me. I mean, the Mariners haven't been to the playoffs literally in like 45 years. So I'm I'm still going (laughs) to say the Astros and
1: yeah, that, that, I, I agree with you there. The Astros might have one more year left in them where they win that division, but uh, it should be interesting with the Mariners. Uh, what about the AL Central? Um, it, it's hard to really see anybody but the White Sox win in that division, right? I know Minnesota... Yeah, I'm looking though. up and down. I'm like...
2: Yeah, I'm looking up and down. I mean, they got Carlos Correa, but I think I was looking at like the Twins roster either today or yesterday. I was like, who is that guy? Who is that guy? Who is that guy? <laughs> like... <laughs> players on this Twins are out, so I'm like, I, I'm not sure I know who that is. The Guardians, they have a couple of really high-quality players like Jose Ramirez, Shane Bieber. They got some really talented guys, but I just don't think, overall, I don't think they have the depth to do it. The Tigers are out there making moves in free agency. Javi Baez, Eduardo Rodriguez, so I think they should be improved from what they were last year in the last couple of years, but I don't think they're ready to compete just yet. I think they need to hit the offseason and trade market, probably another season or two before they're ready to make any real runs, so I even brought up the Royals because they're probably the most forgotten about team in baseball, and I'm just going to leave them out this discussion. So, for me, it's definitely the White Sox as the team to beat in the AL Central.
1: And finishing up with the AL East, that was one of the funnest races uh, last year where basically Mm -hmm. one through four, I mean, it was just flip-flopping. Well, not really flip-flopping. Tampa Bay did win it by a lot, but the the three after that, Boston, the Yankees, and Toronto were just (laughs) flip-flopping for those last wild-card teams. Um, you know Toronto looks very strong. They, they they have a ton of offense. Um, you know Boston now with Story. Um, Tampa Bay always seems to pull a rabbit out of their hat and remain good. I think the Yankees might be the team that's kind of left out of this thing here.
2: Yeah, yeah I'm definitely not in on the Yankees as a World Series contender. I'm still in on them as a playoff team, just because there's going to be an extra spot in the postseason this year. So I think they still have too much talent to miss out. I mean, they're still going to have a lineup that features like three to four guys that could get you 35 plus home runs. They're still going to have one of the best pitchers in baseball on Garrett Cole. So I think that team is still going to be good enough to make the postseason. We'll see what Severino gives you. If he can get back to those, levels before he got hurt he was uh you know like a Cy Young caliper guy so we'll see what he could do for you the rest of their rotation could definitely be fleshed out a little bit but I think they have enough talent on that roster to compete the Rays I mean they're kind of like the San Francisco Giants they never have stars but yet they win 100 games every season Great analytics, great approach to the game. Uh, it's not my favorite approach to the game, but it works. The Red Sox are my team that I used to root for growing up. They're still probably the number one team in my heart. So I'm hoping the Red Sox win that division. I love the Trevor Story addition just because you keep that guy away from the New York Yankees. They desperately need more starters after Chris Dale, who's going to be hurt again to start the year. Nate Evaldi back to be number one, so we'll see how that works out for them. They added James Paxton, so hopefully he steps up. Then the Blue Jays, like, God, this division is deep because you're going to have Vladdy Guerrero Jr. They got bop, uh, boppers up and down that lineup. They just added Matt Chapman. They signed Kevin Gosman this offseason. Like, this is going to be, I think, a better division than West, And I think they could support four playoff teams. Like I said, with the expanded postseason, Yankees, Rays, Red Sox, Blue Jays. Like, I don't even know who I think is going to win that division because – I would probably say the Blue Jays are actually my favorite because I think they have the deepest rotation. Plus they just have boppers up and down their lineup. But if you made the argument for the Rays or the Red Sox, I probably wouldn't argue with you either. So right now I would say the Blue Jays are probably the guy, uh, the team I would have to bet on, on a uh, Bet Online If I has a, if I had a gun at my head, but it's hard to say, but I would say Blue Jays as of today.
1: And one more question before you go, um, and and it might be a, a weird question, but it's just something that just came to my head. You know, the same way you see, like, the Dodgers are, are, are the, the big favorites in the National League. Is Toronto kind of the, the, the big favorite in the American League just based on the fact that they have all that offense and they have some pretty good pitching as well? Is there anybody else you see in the American League that that should be more of a favorite than Toronto to get to the World Series? Um uh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, probably not
2: more of a favorite than Toronto. They probably, I guess, should be the favorite. But when I say it's like I'm putting quotation marks around it because I also, like I said, wouldn't be surprised if they lost to like the Yankees, Rays, the Red Sox in the playoff series. Because I think that division is going to be that tight. But if I had to pick someone to make it out the American League, I think Toronto would be. My choice as well, just because I think they just have the deepest lineup, deepest rotation, deepest bullpen of all the teams. So I guess I would say Toronto, but I wouldn't be surprised if a team like the the Red Sox made it there because they're one of those teams that just when you think they're not gonna win the World Series, that's the year that they win the World Series. They're just one oh, of those weird teams where they either are finished fifth or they go all the way. So they're a team that I don't want to count out. The Rays, I don't like their analytical analytical approach once we get to the postseason. The Yankees, I don't really believe in too much. I still like this Astros team. I wouldn't count out on them. Um, The Mariners, they could maybe make some noise. And I do like this White Sox team. They just haven't really been able to live up to my expectations of them once we get to the postseason. So to answer your question, I would say Blue Jays right now. But again, it's so close at the top that I wouldn't be surprised if someone else came
1: out the AF. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there, too. All right, well, I want to thank you for coming on. This has been a lot of fun talking some baseball with you. And uh, yeah, hopefully the Diamondbacks are, are much improved. You know, uh, like you said earlier, one of the first things you said when you came on here, uh, they really can only get better this year after last year. So, I mean, you should have a, a pretty, pretty much improved team this year, even even, you know, with the talent that you have, I would think.
2: Yeah, they literally can't break my spirits any more than what they did
1: the past <laughs> couple of years. So, just by virtue of that, it should be a good season in 2022. Alright. Alright, thanks a lot for coming on, Lars. It's been a pleasure. No problem. Thank you, Sam.
0: That's it for this edition of the Lock on Dimebacks podcast. Shout out to everyone who tuned in into today's podcast. Shout out to Sam of Airwaves Radio for inviting me on. Hope to do more crossovers in the future with people outside of the locked on podcast network because always fun to talk to other people and just you know do a little cross pollination action across the sports industry so shout out sam for doing that as always come back tomorrow for more diamondbacks news coverage and insight thanks thank you for making lockdown diamondbacks your first listen every day not be able to do this podcast without you make your second list of the day locked on MLB with my pal paul francis Sullivan. please call him sully as he brings you a unique perspective on the major leagues both past and present and of course it's available wherever you get your podcasts And as always, stay safe, stay healthy. Deuces!